Hey guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. I'm Kyle Bodanis. This week is the first of our new reoccurring series, looking at some of the greatest producers in the pop music lexicon, past and present. They're the geniuses who provide the sonic blueprint for the records we hold dear. For our first episode, we're going to be talking about The Man From Compton, one of hip-hop's greatest producers, Dr. Dre. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. Alright guys, here today to start our latest deep dive series is the man himself, Coburn Blair. Coburn Blair, how are you doing? Good, how about you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, continued pandemic, nothing new here. Uh, you know, getting through winter. Uh, I'm very excited to kind of like embark on our, you know, latest uh, kind of project here. Right now we are embarking on a full-fledged nerd out deep dive on producers, the formative ones, the geniuses. Uh, we want to look at how sounds are shaped, how sounds are built on top of other sounds to create local movements, as well as basically the sonic layout for what popular music is today. Uh, I know what you're thinking, listeners, that's some heady ass stuff, but it's going to be super fun talking music, talking about some of the greats. Uh, so guys, welcome to the producers, Coburn, the producers. How do you feel about it? Ready to go on it. So to start off this little soiree, we're going to look back at one of the greats. Andre Young hails from Compton, California. He grew up in a musical family, which provided refuge from the often terrible surroundings of inner city Los Angeles. Poverty, the crack epidemic, police brutality, all were a part of his surroundings. He spent hours digging through crates of music, getting the knowledge. He was inspired by hip-hop, soul, funk, um, you know, a variety of different music, which would drip into his producing style and into um, his work. He gained notoriety for being able to throw a party with world-class wrecking crew, but it was his pairing with Eazy-E and the creation of N.W.A. that would begin two decades worth of changing not only the sonic language of hip-hop, but its attitude and the subject matter. Uh, Coburn, let's talk Dr. Dre. Why is Dr. Dre important? Well, I think you can't really talk about hip-hop and, you know, coast-to-coast. There isn't really a, a producer that is easily as identifiable as someone who, you know, exerted their influence on hip hop in a real meaningful way, you know, from, from the eighties to present day. So you had Dr. Dre as the producer first and foremost, you know, kind of hailing in, um, and being one of the main pioneers of the G funk sound in the early nineties. You have his work with obviously NWA and then his departure to death row records, the chronic album, 2001 and then detox which we never formally received and then that goes into compton his ushering in of eminem 50 and the game kendrick lamar you know these huge names huge forces within hip-hop and he was kind of there you know behind the boards pulling in a lot of different things to make all those things happen and i think that is why dr dre i I think is you know he's the most easily identifiable producer in hip-hop and i think he's also just you know just done so much been able to make himself felt in a way that you know does something a little bit more than um i would say his contemporaries if you were to remove dr Dre from the sonic tree that that shows the roots of where the sounds we know as hip-hop come from 
and all the things that came directly after it, a hole in the space-time continuum would likely be ripped open. Uh, the sonic equivalent of that picture of uh, Marty McFly that Marty McFly has in Back to the Future, if you were to remove Dr. Dre, uh, the siblings would all start to disappear. He's absolutely crucial. It's funny because if you... I would argue that Dr. Dre's style, despite being influenced by people like Africa Bombada um, and Grandmaster Flash, uh, his style is a closer comparison to some of the funk and soul producers that we found in the 70s and 60s uh, in terms of his style, you know, rather than, you know, kind of his hip hop contemporaries, because just uh, things we're going to get into, like the sampling of like, like the actual recording of music rather than relying on samples and I mean, you're going to see that factor heavily. It's going to really weigh into his sound. So, I mean, Dr. Dre, he is absolutely one of the most important producers, not only in hip hop, but of popular music, especially over the last uh, 30 to 35 years. You know, that goes without saying, I think, at this point. And then also he's bringing a ton of artists to the table. And I, I kind of want to start by going through those artists. Let's talk Snoop Dogg first. So Snoop Dogg being his, you know, Maybe his most notable protege uh, post NWA, he finds this, you know, young kid from Long Beach and turns him into an international celebrity. You know, we wouldn't have the Snoop Dogg we have now without those kind of formative years under the wing of Dr. Dre, um, shaping his sound, you know, producing his debut album, you know, Murder Was a Case, like so many records, such a, a monumental impact, I think, in the way that having Dr. Dre, even at this point, as he had just left NWA and was kind of, you know, moving into the Death Row Records era, how much, like, his shepherding of Snoop Dogg helped, you know, bring him to the forefront and make him into the star that he became. And consider how visible Snoop Dogg has been since he came out. This is kind of a Dr. Dre thing. Obviously, Snoop Dogg is a talent. He's got one of the best flows of all time. And, um... You know, he was kind of brought into the picture by Dr. Dre, and I I think Dr. Dre's contributions, just like what stems from him in general, is pretty insane. And I think this is kind of the genius of Jimmy Iovine in knowing that Dr. Dre was something special because of all the all these different artists and all these different branches and all these different from a business standpoint opportunities that came from him, and then all the sonic development that came through those artists. You know, he wasn't just a producer. He was an impresario. I think that's an important point, too, is like that he was a little bit more than a producer. He was able to see the big picture in all in everything that he was doing. And he kind of brought that wherever he went, right? Like he brought that in NWA as much as, you know, Ice Cube brought, you know, the lyricism. And he they all both like kind of worked together to, to pull that together and make it what it was and then he does the same thing when he goes to death row and i think it's really reflective on all his albums because they all feel like uh you know group projects there's like a lot of people on them it's very feature heavy but he's kind of you know bobbing and weaving these new acts and you know old friends and you know guest vocalists all together to make a cohesive project and it like it works you know nearly every time he finds the diamond in the rough with Snoop Dogg, but then he also finds Eminem. Seemingly out of nowhere, it's a it's a demo tape that is just mixed in with a pile of demo tapes. 
he hears it it's played in jimmy ivine's office and you know the just the impact on that and it, it this is kind of like the second generation of people discovers is really going to have three different people but i mean eminem's impact on the music industry and what dre was able to contribute to that uh is is volumes yeah and i think that you know eminem was such a major tour de force in hip-hop and then to have, you know, the certification and the authenticity of Dr. Dre behind him meant something, you know, at that era. Because it was like Dr. Dre had kind of been through it all. He'd been through the ringer. He was, you know, still well-respected, even though he wasn't maybe at his height seven years post the chronic. So I think him coming in and finding Eminem and, and kind of being able to point to him and, you know, provide, you know, instrumentation for Eminem to, you know, ascend it was just like the perfect uh, storm. And it's funny because, I mean, in some ways, the discovery of Eminem kind of saved his career because after the whole, there was a stylistic change post-gangster rap where uh, where he's he starts Aftermath and he's trying to distance himself from that. And, you know, big stylistic change. It doesn't work out. He kind of realizes that and is very vocal about it. But with everything that went on with gangster rap and just like the pressure that was put on Time Warner and everything with that whole business situation for Dre not to be selling albums uh, was a big thing. And he was in a low point. Then he discovers this guy, Eminem, and it just kind of kicks off like the the renaissance, I believe, in his career. And I mean, that leads to 50 Cent, another, you know, heavily, you know, now influential artist. And I think the 50 Cent thing is, is interesting, too, because like, you know, they kind of jointly entered him into rap kind of marking him as well but it was also a return to gangster rap this thing that made dr dre who he was and so it was really cool to have like a kind of new generation birth in gangster rap with 50 cent was you know generally kind of as scary as nwa was at that at the time he was like boycotted he was you know considered dangerous or whatever but he was like a smash success and i think it r really felt like a kind of a second era and a, and a kind of just like there's there's a lot of parallels to 50 and nwa um in their respective time periods yeah i think that was something that was kind of not present because I, obviously in the earlier 90s there had been a backlash against it and then this kind of new generation i mean you see this with the rest of like g unit and you have the game and i mean the game when they dropped when he dropped the documentary was absolutely i mean what's your thoughts on that album well the documentary i think is one of my favorite and i think one of the best produced debuts albums ever and you know dr dre kind of exactly producing the whole thing and being at the helm and that was a kind of a neo a neo g-funk album and you know when we go past the game and then we see you know kendrick's good kid i think that would be like the height of what neo g funk could become and it was another return to form for dr dre and and for the sound that he had helped birth i wasn't the biggest fan of 50 cent when he dropped but the game that i mean the documentary i was listening to nonstop, absolutely loved it uh i mean obviously same idea we you know when you see this third generation that comes up with you know with kendrick lamar and just another i mean if you look at the top tier of hip-hop you know the top 50 artists of all time the top 30 of artists of all time i mean if you look at this list of people he helped bring in like a lot of them are on it and we didn't even we didn't even mention like his work for the firm you know yes i think that's i think that kind of goes on because it wasn't massively commercially big but I think it goes under the radar when it's actually absolutely fantastic music. 
you know, and that gets overlooked and like Eve gets overlooked as well in terms of um, the, re- you know, in terms of what he's bringing to the table, because uh, it shows that he's able to work stylistically different. I mean, he brings himself into these things, but um, he's able to allow the artist to shine as well. Absolutely. And I think that is also, you know, speaks to his power and presence of, you know, he can get on a song like No Diggity with Blackstreet in 96, and he can also be behind the scenes. And he's never kind of, you know, forced himself to the forefront in any way. And it's not necessarily like, you know, he does have really good presence when he's like on the other side of the microphone, but he's also really, really good at just kind of knowing where to be always um, when records are getting made. So as we, you know, really, really get into the nitty gritty of this, uh, we're kind of going to look at Dr. Dre through the lens of three albums. The first one we're going to look at is Straight Outta Compton, uh, N.W.A., I think one of probably one of the most influential albums in the history of popular music, just in in terms of the way it affected culture, the way it affected music from a business standpoint, from a sonic standpoint, from a lyrical standpoint, from a subject standpoint. What is the effect of that album on, you know, the music industry and on America? Well, I think this album, it really highlighted what was going on in America. And this album, NWA, along with Ice-T, changed the landscape and kind of refocused gangster rap and you were hearing the sounds of the inner city in a in a way that really hadn't been communicated um in the same way before so i think it scared a lot of people right this was you know all the violence that they were seeing you know on the nighttime news was now coming through their speakers and a lot of people became enamored with it you know you started reflecting on what was going on in LA was such a massive influence in the world uh, at that moment, right? You have the kind of epicenter of the crack epidemic happening there. You have, I think, guess the Olympics was around that same time or just before then. And you get into, you know, the riots um, that happened in, in Watts in the past and the riots that were about to happen again with Rodney King. So I think that album being in the context of everything that was happening in LA and everything that would happen in in LA, that album was really part of the fabric of, you know, America and Americana and America that they didn't really want to talk about. And that album brought things to the forefront. It it presented a discussion that I don't think people were ready to have. I don't think they'll ever be ready to have. And it kind of forced it down their throats. So these things that were discussed in gangster rap really had to be addressed and redressed You know, there's a reason that the album is in the Library of Congress. There's a reason that the album is as influential as it is. And there's a reason that gangster rap stuck around in hip hop for so many years. I mean, I would argue that this is one of the most seismic shifts. I mean, I had said it's seismic shifts in American music. But uh, I mean, these for me, NWA is the hip hop equivalent of the Sex Pistols uh, in the same way that, you know, the Sex Pistols were a reaction to the political situation in England in the late 70s. NWA and and, and this album for me are... Um, are like that to the Reagan Bush America. I mean, fuck the police is dealing with some of the same uh, situations as like Guns of Brixton by The Clash. Um, you know, it wrote the blueprint for gangster rap lyrically and musically. Uh, he created the palette for the subject matter to kind of be like painted on. And it, it's a completely different language of hip hop and music after this. And as you said, like it's in the Library of Congress, despite the backlash against it. And because it was, I mean, as they said, this is, was like, 
like it's like ghetto PBS. Like these, uh, like you know, Chuck, Chuck D and Easy E are two sides of uh, of a coin that are happening at the time. And I very much see, uh, and you know, NWA is the Sex Pistols. I see, um, Public Enemy is the Clash, and like this is just like this is rebel. This music is the music of rebellion, and I mean that is, I mean that's a Fred Hampton thing. You know, the, 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 these aren't riots that are happening. Uh, this is rebellion, and it's in a, re a reaction to um, police brutality. And you know, this was really kind of sowing the sonic seeds for that, providing the soundtrack for that, adding a voice uh, where there wasn't a voice for that. And you know, even today it like feels unbelievable when you hear it. So, I mean, on this album, what is he doing sonically? So I think on, you know, this is Dr. Dre, DJ Yella, and Arabian Prince producing this whole thing. And, you know, we're getting synthesizers. The, the production feels a little bit sparse still a little bit. There's, you know, some kind of funk elements to it. And, you know, some scratching. So it feels like, you know, the early hip-hop stuff. You know, the Roland drum machine is extremely loud on this one. You're getting a little bit of the feels from what he was doing before when he was in the World Class Wrecking Crew. But I think it changes and it starts adapting and starts um, swinging, swinging a little bit here. Like, how would you say this, like, like stacks up to, like, a... Boogie Down Productions uh, album, you know, of a, of the the time. I mean, they would be the closest comparison to in terms of like lyrical content. I think I don't think they're like you take it as far. I think that this album, it really kind of. I mean, if you look at Russell Simmons uh, coming out of like songs like the Message and like early hip hop songs, he thought it was very like clowny because they were really playing up live sounds and um you know really heavily into funk and almost like disco whereas but i don't but he didn't look at it at like dr dre did you know what i mean and, you know boogie down productions super sample heavy i'm not saying they're not ever recording off the floor but it, it very much exists in an like in, in an east coast east coast quote unquote sound for the time whereas this it's like where the g-funk comes in it's like recording i mean he's gonna start recording more bass lines and that's gonna be like the rhythm section is gonna not come as much from um from samples as we continue but like you're seeing like the g-funk it you know sonic landscape kind of set down here i mean it's bass heavy the samples are relying on super funky guitars and horns uh, like, I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure straight out of Compton, it's the Winston's Amen brother. They sample, uh, fuck the police is like a Marva Whitney sample. So like, he's really kind of pulling this from this kind of, you know, rich black music from the seventies and, uh, the sixties, but he's kind of looking at it differently than some of the formative members of like that, of the hip hop, you know, founding fathers, like Bombada. Uh, Grandmaster Flash, um, Herc, and he's kind of looking at it from a, a completely different way and kind of subverting some of the criticism that, say, like a Russell Simmons had, you know, in the early 80s with what the original iteration of hip-hop was. So I, I, I think for this, it's pretty crazy what he's able to do here if you consider how young he is. Yeah, and I would say, like, you know, like, 
like even like the song express yourself on there with like that sample being so omnipresent um and also very like recognizable to to the um to the song sampled by uh, charles wright in the watts uh, 133rd uh, rhythm street band song i think there's certain certain productions on here that like stands out and then when you play this record now and you kind of compare it to you know dr dre's later productions or you compare it to dj quick um and stuff around the same time period and what stuff and what people were trying to do to imitate this sound it really sounds like it really lays in the canon of g-funk and you know what where g-funk was going and you know how sampling was used in g-funk compared to you know other rap samples like it, they weren't sampling the same way as like the west coast was at the, at the time it sounded very uh unique and even the sparseness that was you know there to fill out some of the raps and i think i think there's something about the production too that makes the content of the music hit harder and it's kind of laid bare and i think without that you might not have the you know same reaction to gangster rap um at the time yeah because i think what's going to happen is i mean if uh if this if this was a a pokemon uh this would be like a uh you know a charmander it's like the first evolution of it i think the fact that it still is relying on samples although there is some stuff recorded off the floor the fact that it's relying on samples in such like a guttural visceral way it's still got some of those east coast influences i think if he had been as far along uh as he was on the chronic it may not have worked for nwa just because of how raw they are whereas his music gets progressively more and more slick relying less on um you know sampled music and more on um, recorded music and like synth um you know hooks that he's creating in the studio so i i, I think it's interesting you know how that whole thing played out but you know this is the first evolution of you know of dr dre I want to kind of talk about where where do we see its influence? Well, I think you can see this album's like stylistic influence pretty much like everywhere. You know, I think you know it's, this album very strongly influences um, Good Kid, Mad City. This album's very pre- present on you know the documentary. This album, you know, kind of travels to the south, and I think there are certain like you know Scarface records that you can kind of hear mirrored in this or you know other kind of uh texas rap at the time i think has a little bit of influence from straight out of compton so i think you know this this a little bit of the early southern sound i think kind of comes from you know i think there's probably thorough lines um through both both uh kind of regions but i think there's a little bit of a sound carryover from you know the west coast sound to the to the south at this time period I would definitely agree with that the South is interesting because I feel like if you uh, listen to a song like Boys in the Hood or whatever, or um, if if you were to add hi hats to it, like very quick hi hats to it, it would sound like a trap beat. But I mean, you're gonna see it kind of blow out from there. I mean, you're gonna see it in the very near future uh, in Notorious B.I.G. You're gonna see it in fucking uh, obviously Snoop Dogg. I mean, you're gonna see elements of it in Wu Tang Clan, especially like the very repetitive production style, like on like on fuck the police with just the horn the i mean riz is going to take that and he's going to make it his own he's of course 
going to rely more on samples and the drum machine as he goes on, but he just does it in his own way. This is, as I said, it's one of the most influential albums in popular music. And I think just the reverberations, whether people are inspired by it or harshly reacting against it, you can absolutely kind of see that as you move forward even a few years because everyone want, was now wanting to do this. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's an element that happens when you release an album that's this influential um, in terms of, like, it, all of its elements kind of end up living everywhere else, right? Because of, like, how controversial and, influ- and influential it was, I think everyone kind of picks up on different elements that they like from this album, and it goes on to live in a lot of people's heads, and it translates into their work in a way that I think albums that are less popular but, you know, maybe have different production styles or bring different things in, those albums I don't think go as wide. So I think their their influence ranges a little bit differently because it's like you have to really be in the note to be able to get the influences from it unless you're just getting the translated influences from the people who are in the know. And obviously its influences stem even beyond, the you know, the sonic and the lyrical situation i mean it really dripped into the culture um totally i mean the fbi wrote a letter to nwa which is you know this puts them directly up against the state and what that said and what the message that kind of sent to other musicians black youth just the youth of america in general is i mean i don't think you can overlook it I want to move on to The Chronic because like The Chronic, I mean, I probably think it's his best album. I love it. I think it's one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. Uh, I've worn through copies of it. This album, they didn't even want, like this was not wanted at the beginning. Like there was a little radioactivity after, well, not a little radioactivity after um, NWA. And, you know, they had to go around trying to shop this. They got rejections for this. I can't, I can't even imagine that now. Like imagine we didn't get this album like, oh. Well, it's, I mean, I, it, like, it's ridiculous, too, because I feel like, like, our perception of it is that, like, there's so many bangers on it, and that it's so radio-friendly, like, just from a sonic point of view. I mean, obviously, they're going to edit the shit out of it, but, like, I'm still hearing these songs on, you know, the radio when, unfortunately, I have to listen to radio in the car. Like, I, I, I just find it staggering, people's inability to kind of grasp what it meant coming forward, because it was really, like, this is where you're going to see... And this kind of dovetails into, you know, how did this album build on the sound he was creating? So how did he build on the sound he was creating with this? Well, so I think this album, you know, maybe in my mind, maybe goes back a little bit to the kind of world-class wrecking uh, crew sound and like the early kind of days. Because I think this album draws a lot more from, you know, Parliament, uh, George Clinton, like it feels very like heavy on the funk. And I think this album kind of, better defines the g-funk sound i think maybe a little bit more than um straight out of compton does yeah it's interesting because i mean when you read about you know whether you're reading from music journalists or musicologists or whatever you know they kind of point george clinton and africa bombata as the ones who really you know who influence you know the west coast sound especially the idea of funk and then with africa bombata coming in with like electro funk and um like nwa's sound was so raw and the hip-hop influences 
were there. I mean, you can hear things like DJ Quick and Grandmaster Flash, but like some of the, I think some of his biggest influences are like, you know, Quincy Jones and like artists like Marvin Gaye. And I mean, there's a level of polish to those types of albums that come out. And I think we see him taking the next step from this like anti-establishment upstart to you know assailing the heights of the music industry and creating one of the most influential albums of all time but this is so immaculately produced like recording you know the bass off off the floor the rolling bass lines i'm like we're we're gonna get into that but i think the big contribution to this is is that you know there was a again there was a rawness with um straight out of compton and his his ability to kind of keep it mean and muscular but pristine and beautiful at the same time like i i i think that was the real kind of big step he made just from even like an approach standpoint so i mean what are your thoughts on this sonically though like how like what do you think were the big changes that way so i think sonically like having the kind of mellow tones in this album you know it feels a little bit it's not like going anywhere super fast and he's using like live instrumentation on here he he's shaping everything and the way that he's sampling is kind of keeping it more true to the samples as opposed to you know sampling in in and out it's like he's making he's taking the song that he's sampling and he's kind of stretching it and it's waxing and waning and you're kind of like i feel like there's an interesting thing that like he's very clearly paying homage to the stuff that he grew up listening to but he's changing it ever so slightly and you know into his own thing which i think is an important style to do in hip-hop and i think that like we can see you know where that lives today in in, uh in hip-hop and in hip-hop production i think that's a good point you made about keeping the sample kind of more alive like he doesn't use a lot of samples on this album but he really uses them in terms of melody and keeping the melody line with it and um you know at the time hip-hop is sample heavy and i mean if you consider the the counterparts in this punk style hip-hop revolution uh and the clash in this parable being played by public enemy uh i mean the bomb bomb squad right yeah yeah exactly like the bomb squad's production style is the opposite of what you're explaining where i mean it's sample heavy, but they're chopped up like crazy. It's more living in the repetitive pre the chronic era. And not that there is an issue with that. I mean, the bomb squad is heavily influential. It worked on a lot of people's stuff, um, but it definitely reflected the hip hop landscape, especially on the East coast. And then Dre comes in using not very many samples, like um, the Donny Hathaway, little ghetto boy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. using that and maintaining that as like, like if that's an example of, you know what you're saying with the, uh, you know, maintaining the sample, but then the bass lines are recorded in the studio, and that's why there is like there's an organic feel to it, and that's where I really think it, it grabs that you know George Clinton using synths because he's creating hooks with the synthesizers, but then coming in with like pristine Bootsy Collins style bass lines that are just fantastic. Um, and I just think like that is where I really see him as as more like producers like George Clinton and in back in the day and even like Barry Gordy, um, because there is just that need to have organic elements mixed with the electronic, el- you know, elements. 
Um, and there's musicianship in this. That's not to take away from other, because obviously um, I'm obsessed with the the art of sampling and all that kind of stuff. But there is high levels of musicianship in this music too. And I think he's able to maintain that. He's putting flute. We're getting flutes and flute solos like at the end of that track. And I just think if you were to give someone an example of an immaculately produced album, like this would be one of the ones you want to give them. Yeah, I don't think you could talk about production in hip hop and leave this album off off the list because you would be doing a, a disservice to you know being able to talk about production because this album I think is one of the albums that you need to be able to to paint a full picture of hip hop and how sound diversified and how the sound grew um, and and you know this is an album that I think properly defines like a, a new genre and a new sound in production. So what were your some of your favorite like standout tracks on this? Like funny enough, my, my probably my favorite tracks on this are the singles and I didn't like realize at the time they were the singles cuz they were just the songs that I I knew best cuz I'd heard them growing up. So, you know, Fuck with Dre Day, uh Let Me Ride and G Thing obviously cuz G Thing's just I think a classic and one of my favorite hip hop songs ever. So I think you know, if you talk about Fuck With Dre Day, like, I think for me, I loved always the subtle shots to Ruthless Records throughout this album. I loved, you know, I think it's what, Funkadelic and Atomic Dog are sampled on Fuck With Dre Day. Yeah. Um, it just, like, everything about this album, to me, I think sounds iconic. You know, Let Me Ride, you hear it and you think West Coast rap. And I think part of it is... Yes, you know, the the album has become associated with it, but I also think that it's very pioneering and in the ways that you could hear, you know, certain sounds from certain regions and you can think of, you know, maybe one song for each region and think, okay, this is what, you know, you play like something off of Illmatic and you're like, okay, this is what New York rap should sound like. I think this album is kind of like the, maybe the litmus test or whatever you want to compare. You need to have this album there to be able to compare it to. I what I love about this album is the same thing with not comparing them from a skill standpoint, but uh, Forty Ounces to Freedom by Sublime. I I mean this and that album were among two of the albums that I just listened to religiously during high school, just nonstop. And it will be another Dre album that will also uh, be in there as well. Um, it just takes you to a time and place. I think that's what it is. I think it takes you like it takes you to what you feel even in the cold weather, but you know what LA is, you know what I mean? If you just show albums about Los Angeles, you would very likely be handing them one of these, this, this situation, you know what I mean? Uh, and, 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 and it just paints a picture of roll, uh, you know, rolling down the street, top down, you know, it's warm, you're chilling, it's a vibe. I mean, Ain't Nothing But The G Thing is one of the most chilled out songs humanly possible. Lil Ghetto Boy is probably my favorite Dr. Dre song. I mean, it's one of the earlier appearances of uh, Snoop Dogg. And his lines are just so good on it. And it's so smooth. Like, you could take the, this album just in general and smear it over toast it's so fucking smooth. Like, um, let me ride another one that is absolutely fantastic. And I think the Donny Hathaway sample and atomic dog sample on this in uh fuck with Dre day have to be two of my favorite uses of samples because they maintain the coolness of the song, but establishes 
the song's own groove because of your blending samples and uh you know recorded music and it's just like what was your relationship to this like when did you start listening to this did you have a relation with this ship with this growing up like what's your thoughts this album was kind of like an album that was like or i would maybe not say the album i would say probably like like i said like the singles like rat-a-tat-tat um yeah like let me ride and fuck with dre day you know always in rotation on the radio always at parties and stuff growing up so I'd say I probably got into this album when I finally like had my own copy of it and was able to listen to it like back to front and really interact with it and you know kind of hear everything that was going on on it and also like I was into a lot of the samples that were you know on here so I could kind of understand music um at a like larger scale but like this album as soon as you start with the cover art you know this album's iconic like the rolling the zigzag um cover art I think is just such a good great and just like adds to how iconic the album is um so i think like this album was probably for me like grade eight or grade seven is when i kind of like would sit with this album and listen to it and kind of be able to unpack it so i kind of want to dovetail this into 2001 because the chronic is like my aunt as I've explained many times in this podcast is like my older sister and uh, she's like eight years older. And like, this was an album that was really part of her high school experience, like from a generational standpoint, this like came out when she was in high school, all this kind of stuff. Me, I picked this up and, you know, brought it into my, you know, into my high school existence. But 2001 was of the time that was, it was, I fully remember when it dropped I remember what people's thoughts on it were. I remember how often people were playing it. I remember people driving around playing the songs, you know, forgot about Dre, you know, um, the next episode, like even let's get high, the vulgarity of it and enjoying it. And you know what I mean? Like what was your relationship with 2001 as opposed to the chronic? Yeah, so 2001's uh, more my era. This is an album that, you know, everybody kind of had. Uh, all my friends' older brothers were listening to this album. This was, I think for me, my formal introduction into Eminem. Um, because just like in the way that Snoop Dogg was, you know, ever-present throughout uh, The Chronic, I think this was the album that, like, he ushered in Eminem with. You know, he has a really great cast on it. You know, we have Snoop Dogg back, Corrupt, Exhibit, Nate Dogg's back again, the DOC, Scott Storch, he kind of switches up his production a little bit. He's growing, his style's changing. This is, you know, the post kind of jiggy era in rap, you know, bad boys kind of, you know, spinning downwards. And so is the West Coast at this point. So this album, I think, is a lot of things to me. This album, the production on it, I think he kind of has managed to outdo himself on this album. It's just like a fantastic, I think this album, the production for me outshines the actual lyrics on here. So I think this album, I think is probably, you know, probably top five produced hip hop albums. I almost feel like this is just, I, maybe that was because of my experience was more of like built to be a party record or not in the superficial sense, but just from a hypeness and from a, like how many bangers are on it. There's a lot of bangers on this like figuring out singles very like like wasn't difficult you know what i mean yeah like I, this was kind of mixed in with like i listen to if i'm talking about hip-hop albums i listen to 
you know, when I was in high school, obviously the classics, huge tribal quest fan, that kind of thing. Uh, but I mean, I, it was quest for fire, uh, Cardinal official, uh, ice cold chocolate, Wu-Tang forever. And then this one were the ones I was listening to all the time. And like, obviously, which was, which is great when you're a kid listening to much music. I mean, you're immersed in Canadian hip hop, like Cardinal official and chocolate. Like those were huge fucking albums. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was younger, but this one was just, I, as I said, you know, coming in, like everyone was playing it. It was on at all the parties I was at. We were listening to it. Obviously, when we smoked weed, we listened to it. It's the densest, con you know, concentration of bangers. Like, is there an album that has this many bangers on it? Like, what, like is, do you have one that you think would be compar comparable? Uh, I mean, I would probably put uh, Get Rich or Die Trying up there just in terms of, you know, for as many like you know hits for per record but yeah this album i think you know is a standout like you go into it they do the thx intro which they get sued for for the low low so intro good. it's um, so funny <laughs> so i love it. i mean i guess now they're like you know apple and disney so it's it's a little bit different now uh into the watcher which again is super iconic skip down to track three still dre um huge 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 hip-hop song it was massive. snoop dog scotch storage jay-z on the pen dr dre like i don't know what else you can really say about that explosive number six just one of the most fantastically produced hip-hop songs of all time you know this song Kanye calls it like one of his biggest inspirations he loves you know the way that that record was done he said he you know kind of tried to do the same thing on what i think it was can i live for jay-z what's the difference right after that eminem exhibit another massive massive song i would probably go down to forgot about dre again that song you could not escape it in in 1999 2000 the car bomb skit the car bomb it's like even the skits are fucking hilarious on it yeah like i i think this album is is like quite quite fantastic and amazing and i think you know for dr dre to kind of return on on this album introduce his new new kind of cast of characters i think he was really good at setting tones for eras even if you know because he wasn't the the artist or producer that was you know always in the spotlight but he was always kind of there ushering in eras and then he was active in the eras but it wasn't like he was going to give you a dr dre album all the time he was just going to kind of set the tone and then you know work behind the scenes to make things happen yeah it's funny you mentioned jay-z because when i'm like thinking which album has like the densest amount of ba like bangers like that on it like get rich or die trying is a good example uh but black album as well yeah. like like it's just it's just fucking one after the other non-stop you can listen to the whole albums and that's what i kind of really appreciate about dr dre's work is that like i'm not well, at least not Compton, which I mean, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit, is that like it's it's a listening experience all the way through. You can listen to it from start to finish. Enjoy it. It feels like a complete thing and a complete story. But also you can select things to play at a party, to play in your car, test your damn subwoofers. And, you know, how did this album round out Dre's G-Funk ambitions? Because I feel like this is the the final evolution of that sound, the mega Charizard, if you will. Well, I think this album, he kind of stripped things down a little bit more. And, you know, instead of the kind of 
whiny synths that we got on the chronic he was giving us strings here he was giving us keys you know he brought in basses he had you know percussionists on here he did the drums on his on the mpc for this album it it feels like almost like a like a jam band side of production that he was doing here like a sound is much more organic maybe i would say and I think he was still using a lot of analog equipment in the studio at this point um, when the industry was going digital. So I think he just did a really good job at innovating and working really hard to get the sound that he wanted. He was also replaying a lot of samples at this point. Like he wasn't really, you know, sampling the same way that, you know, he initially was. Like even the, the horn blast on uh, the next episode was recorded specifically for this album and you know it was from you know david mccallum's the edge and they 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 redid it just for this album yeah i think it's definitely more stripped down i think it, it it's you hear the george clinton infrastructure sorry uh, the george clinton influence when people are using you know creating electronic music with analog equipment i think that's the big you know that's where despite being very electronic and you again you clearly hear the africa bombada influences um it it's more converted into you know we're doubling down on hooks this is an example of an album when you get the you know whether you want to call them luddites or people who uh you know don't really know anything about music who try to pass off this style of product you know hip-hop production as as skillful as its more rock uh, counterparts, uh, I would throw this album out as it is almost completely recorded by musicians or you know the producer who's creating the beats and is using synths. And this is one of the albums that elevates hip hop production into an absolute art form and really cements the studio as an instrument itself. And that's one thing I really love about hip hop production that the studio itself is an instrument. That's why the producer always rules supreme in hip hop and i i just this album is just so catchy it still has some danger still has some elements it's an og album and i think what he's able to do on this is absolutely fantastic i think that this is really where his sound if you're looking at the three albums we're talking about and the progression this is the inevitable shape of it when you put out two of the best recorded hip-hop albums of all time i mean it's definitely an assertion of just the importance of this individual in in popular music yeah if i could say anything about this album i would say this album is the most cinematic that he's done and also the most like it feels like an orchestra like it's like it's he like is conducting a lot here and he feels like a band leader. It feels yeah. like some Miles Davis shit. Yeah, so he, he brings that he brings those kind of both elements together and it just creates a a new kind of sonic sphere. And I don't really think the highs of this album have really been reached in the same way since. Like I can't remember the last album that felt like, you know, like like in the way you say it's like a a party album. It feels like a party when you listen to it. It feels like a party when you put it on. Like it takes me back to hearing it, you know. The fir- for the first time when I play this album. It's interesting, you you know, we use the band leader comparison is like one of his biggest influences, Quincy Jones. This is a very Quincy Jones-like recording situation where he's getting these musicians, he's getting these people who do this, he's assembling a team of musicians to come in and record this stuff. People are fucking around with synthesizers and 
it really makes sense and this is again why i would not come i would for a comparison standpoint of who are his content not contemporaries but the people who are closest uh related to what he does is why i would say it is people like like george clinton and quincy jones because it's recorded in the same manner he's not really doing anything new he's just taking something that is done in a different genre and taking those production ideas because he's such a student in music and he spends so much time like immersed in that process that he moved it over over to this new thing hip-hop and it just blew it apart and um the music has been irrevocably changed ever since and i think that like as well for for this album like it still sounds really ahead of its time oh yeah like it doesn't really sound dated and i think there's like other albums too that like you know are great albums and and you know they were great albums for their time period but this album i think still on the production front like it's highest haven't really been captured again and i would say also like too you got to put like you know kanye looking at dr dre as an influence in, in terms of production style and in terms of the way that he you know orchestrates his albums i think that there's a lot of parallels there he's one of the greatest producers of all time and um I mean, this was fun. I see. I this is what I like about this. We get to like deep dive into this and just talk about just how this dope music kind of came together. Yeah, and I think like Dr. Dre is someone who's just excellent to talk about too because his legacy is just so solid, and he's put out such great music, and he's put in so much work over the years. Like you know, we're talking from 1988 to 2021. Like, there's not too many people with legacies that go back that far on that note guys uh thank you for listening coburn thank you for doing this as always we'll be coming at you with another one soon looking forward to it all right take these guys <laughs>